This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Charitable giving is still a very important part of our economy. Giving USA said earlier this year that it amounted to a record high $390.5 billion last year. But how will it be impacted moving forward, especially with Speaking of impact, the impact of millennials and Gen X, even greater from now going into the future. A new book examines that future trend. It it is titled Generation Impact, How Next-Gen Donors Are Revolutionizing Giving. The authors of the book joining us on the show right now, Sharna Goldsecker and Michael Moody. Great to have you both with us. Sharna, Michael, thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I mentioned that the amount of giving last year, how much of it do you think, Sharna, was directly attributed to millennials and Gen X? Sharna? Well, we know that we have an incredible group of people in their 20s and 30s who will be the most significant philanthropists in history because these donors not only will have more money than previous generations to allocate, be it through the historic wealth transfer that underway, $59 trillion is being transferred from baby boomers to their adult Gen X and Y children, let alone the new gold rush that's happening in Silicon Valley and hedge funds on Wall Street and elsewhere. And so we see that these next generations aren't just waiting till the sunset of their lives to be donors like previous generations of Andrew Carnegie and John D. Rockefeller and others did, but are really giving earlier. They're seeing that the needs are great and they have the resources to make a difference. And so they're starting to give an incredible amount at early stages. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, we, from the research point of view, we really don't have those good numbers on just how much of that, um, that Giving USA estimated um, amount for total giving comes from. Um, those who are Gen Xers or Millennials now. Um, the, what we do know is that, um, the, as Sharna was mentioning, that the wealth that's going to be available for those generations to give um, is going to be more significant than ever before. And, uh, and so that overall number will go, uh, go up, we think, over time, and the, certainly and, and with the economy and with wealth transfer. But, um, but more and more of the percentage of that that uh, is driven by the Gen Xers and Millennials, particularly at the top end of the economic spectrum is going to continue to go up. And, they're, and, they're probably not the they're probably not the majority right now. Uh, I think we can say that, but uh, they will be in the, in the next 10, 20 years. And, and I think a lot of people, Michael, just uh, kind of link this to the general approach that Gen X and millennials have about society in general, uh, whether that be the businesses that they're involved with, entrepreneurship, but uh, but also in terms of uh, in terms of charitable giving as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think, a no, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of measuring philanthropy. You know, I'm a professor that studies philanthropy. But, yeah. uh, but you know, as Gen Xers and Millennials uh, get, in, you know, more involved in positions of power and take over these uh, giving institutions and begin to be the leaders of society, um, you know, they're not really as concerned about the difference between uh, giving in one sector versus making money in another sector versus doing public work in a third sector, you know, in the, in the government sector. They, they're eager to sort of blur those boundaries, and they believe very clearly that they can do as much good, maybe even more good, through what they do in the business sector, through um, either they're investing their significant assets in socially responsible ways or 
um, you know, supporting businesses that are, that have a double or a triple bottom line. So those sorts of investments that they make in what they consider doing good in the world and having an impact won't necessarily show up in a number like the estimates of charitable giving. So we've got to complicate yeah. how we think about that in the future, I think. Well, and Sharna, whether you're talking about the financial side of things or actually the numbers of people that are uh, that are getting involved in this, you're talking about a kind of a transformational time where more and more people, I mean, millennials and Gen X, they're, they're more a part of the, uh, of the business world uh, now with jobs. So they are more likely to be in greater numbers just influencing this in general. Definitely. I think the thing that really moved us, though, is that we may assume or the media gives us images of millennials as uh, entitled and Gen Xers as potentially slackers, where the term comes from. But really what we saw, the top three reasons for giving among these generations are supporting a mission or cause that fits with my personal values, fulfilling my duty as a person of privilege to give back to society, and seeing that my contribution makes a real difference and the organization has real impact. So as these people are entering the working world and having more resources, they're caring about values more than valuables, and they're making choices in alignment with those values. Uh, we're talking with uh, Sharna Goldsecker and Michael Moody, who are the authors of the book Generation Impact, How Next-Gen Donors Are Revolutionizing Giving. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, a lot of this, though, also, the part of this is a collaboration, this new generation learning from the baby boomers, Sharna. What are the things that they are picking up from how baby boomers and, and other generations approach giving compared to how they view it? Right. It's a great question. We were also surprised to find that this values orientation, this interest in giving, they're attributing to their parents and grandparents, not necessarily just to their peers or to their uh, social networks, but 89% of them say they were influenced by their parents. I think about uh, John R. Seidel, who's the grandson of Ted Turner, obviously the founder of CNN, the United Nations Foundation, and he says, you know, I was raised with good people, with great morals, and really understood that protecting and restoring the natural world, which is one of the main things the Turner Foundation supports, you know, is part of who I am. And so uh, John R. actually just became the director of sustainability for the city of Atlanta. He's really walking the talk. And then he's bringing his own generation's uh, sensibility, and he created Revolution Nation, which is um, a web platform so that uh, other millennials can think about what they care about, their values, their passions, the care for the climate and other issues, and see through this app how different politicians weigh in on those issues about which they care most. Michael, I'd be interested to know, what do you think is going to be kind of the future of these charitable organizations themselves? Obviously, they're going to be gaining an unbelievable benefit from the assistance of people, but also the monetary element of, uh, of it as well. What do you think is going to be the change that these organizations themselves are going to see? Well, I think this is a, a very good question because it's one of the things that we find um, maybe most significant as a consequence of what we learned in talking to so many of these next-generation donors, and that is that the that charitable organizations that know uh, they need to engage these next-generation donors, particularly the, the major donors that we're talking about in this book, if they want to ensure the sustainability and future of their organizations. But uh, what we found was they're going to have to engage them in new ways. So the biggest consequence for charitable organizations is going to be they've got to retool how they think about engaging major donors. 
Um, they need to be the, the next generation wants to be much more closely involved in hands-on ways inside the organizations. Uh, you know, the line we use is that they're less interested in having their name on the outside of the building right. as a big donor and more interested in being inside, working side by side on real problems, giving their talent, not just their, their treasure. And and that means that, that organizations are going to have to be more transparent with these major donors. They're going to have to find ways for them to engage in real problem solving and give them give them ways to be hands on. Uh, it means, frankly, that the next generation are going to be much more high ma- high maintenance as major donors, but they're also going to potentially be much more loyal, closely involved, and uh, better donors. And they they feel strongly that the way they want to engage is going to make them better donors to these organizations. And, and is the fact that we have had you know a variety of of uh, of areas where charitable giving uh, is beneficial? Uh, we've had a variety of things where whatever the issue may be hasn't been cured or hasn't been fixed or you know whatever the uh, the proper terminology is is that maybe one of the greatest motivating factors of a lot of these millennials and gen x's right now of seeing you know money being put into a variety of things for years and years and really not enough solutions coming forward a hundred percent. I think about Daniel, Daniel Laurie, who we interviewed. He's featured in the Impact chapter of our book. He runs the Tipping Point Foundation in San Francisco Bay Area, and he says very concretely, good intentions are not enough. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over and expect better results. We actually need to do something different. We need to be innovative. We need to fund R&D in the nonprofit world just like we would in the corporate world to right. be able to finally move the needle on some of these entrenched issues. Michael? Yeah, I think um, this is this is in one of the things that we heard loud and clear from them is their desire to experiment. Um, they're really excited about these sort of innovations that are cha- already starting to change the the nonprofit sector and more more broadly as we think about the social sector, blurring the boundaries between uh, between sectors. And they uh, they're just very excited about trying new things. They want a bigger tool belt than the old traditional foundations making grants to 501c3 charitable organizations. Um, and they realize that some of those things are going to fail, um, but they believe very deeply that we have to try new things, take new risks in order to have an impact on these causes that we've and social problems that have been with us for the long for, for a long time. They're actually, it, you know, they're not changing the causes that they're interested in. They're not giving up on education right. um, or health care. They just want to try new things, maybe even experimental, risky new things in order to try to finally move the needle on those problems. And it's interesting you mentioned that part of it, you know, trying experimental risky things. When you do that, obviously there would I would think be a concern of again not fulfilling the the kind of the obligation or the the end goal. There doesn't seem to be that concern as long as they're trying to do it hands on and looking and and getting involved on a variety of levels. I think that's right. They're willing to take some risks because they think that it's a greater risk not to. That there are pressing social issues in our world that haven't been solved. And at the front end of their lives, they have the time and the energy and the inclination to make a difference. And so they're willing to, you know, fund C4s, to do crowdfunding, to 
um, use their assets, not just their grant making, to use all the tools in their toolbox to make a difference. In well, fact, a lot of people said, why not start now at this age to fail forward, quote unquote, knowing that the stakes will only get higher and the resources larger as they grow. Well, what's interesting is in terms of the some of the profiles that, that you have and, and, and the people involved in this, the Rockefellers, the Soroses, Seidel, as you mentioned with, uh, with Ted Turner, these are unbelievably well-known and, and long-term uh, successful families that have been involved. One of them I found interesting is Hannah Quimby, who is uh, one of the heirs to the Burt's Bees Foundation uh, fortune and and the success that that company has had. And I find that maybe is a little bit of a different element to it in that, you know, here's a company that has found success realistically in what the last 30 years or so, not having that unbelievable family legacy uh, up until the last couple of decades. Yes, it's a really interesting story, and and one I think that that still reflects though the way that the next generation thinks about legacy and carrying legacy forward as they take these big roles in the philanthropic space. Because even though Hannah, you know, doesn't come from a family, in fact, she comes from the opposite of a of a, of a family of means. Uh, she grew yeah. up very in very simple ways in Maine uh, with her mother and um, and her brother. The, you know, she still sees as she's taking over this philanthropic work, which is fairly very significant in Maine. Um, she sees it as carrying forward the values that she learned um, and the approach that her mother takes um, in in their own work. So the so the philanthropic work that they're doing is very close to the ground, very much focused on doing what's important and necessary for those organizations. She wants to. We use her in the book as a way of illustrating just how concern the next generation is with being close to organizations, doing what the organizations really need. Right. And, she, and she, in her mind, connects that very clearly to the family legacy of values of being close to the earth and um, and living simply. Which I, I find interesting because it, when as you laid out that that specific case of, of Miss Quimby, that to a degree is kind of built into her personality, into her DNA because of the kind of the path that her mom helped her go on. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily assume that of people like the Rockefellers or of the Soroses, you know, but, but am I, am I missing that in, in that maybe there is an element of that within those families as well, but it's now just really coming out even in a, in a greater level. We actually heard stories across the board, whether it's uh, earners and new wealth holders to multi-generational wealthy families where people are not only uh, passing down the resources or the philanthropic stewardship, but are passing down the stories and the values. So, for example, Alex Soros spoke about hearing the stories from his father and his grandfather that were formative to him and being part of this uh, intergenerational narrative, this larger story that's bigger than than each of them, so that they can be part of contributing back to society, to their people, to, um, to those in need. And um, it's not just about charity, it's about solidarity, Alex Soros says, and that's something that he learned from his father and his grandfather. Are, are there specific areas or sectors of, uh, of charitable giving that you were able to kind of gleam that, that seemingly maybe haven't been the first and foremost uh, of people wanting to give to it, but, but seemingly have the opportunity for great growth uh, in the decades to come? I think the, the um, causes in general that they're interested in are going to be mostly the same. 
Uh, and that's that's somewhat surprising, I think, to people who assume that the next generation is really interested in mostly global causes and not local causes or uh, really only interested in environmental causes and not all that interested in more traditional uh, charitable causes. But we found actually their interests are, are fairly similar to previous generations. There are some differences uh, around, for example, giving to uh, around climate change and for LGBT rights and other human rights and advocacy. There's, there's some of changes that are emerging there. So we certainly think those causes are going to be more prominent in the future. But again, they're not going to give up on health care and education um, and basic needs. What is will, will be different is that they're probably going to be giving to different kinds of organizations within mm-hmm. those causes. They're, they want to give to smaller organizations. They don't really in, like to give to big institutions in which their contribution, no matter how big, is still in some ways a drop in the bucket. They really want to see the impact of their of their contributions, so they can see that um, in a smaller organization better. And I think also the, the organizations that you know are that you know what we call combination organizations like United Ways or Jewish Federations, they have a particular challenge because the next generation of these donors really want to see the impact of their work of their of their contributions, and that's harder when there's a sort of a middleman organization. So. That part of this sort of philanthropic landscape is going to transform, I think, a little bit. Uh, I think they're aware of that, and they're trying to to adjust to the next gen. I I was going to say to you, Michael, were they aware aware of it, but also are they prepared for it, which I think is a little bit of a, you know, a, a nuanced difference. Well, I think all of the I think all of those organizations are are um, aware that they need to change, but the nature of the change they need to make uh, is still something that they're really eager to learn. It's one of the reasons why we wrote this book. Yeah, um, is that they they need to know how can they adjust because they realize that transformation is on the horizon. Sharna, I mean, I, I'm always reminded of this when I think about Victoria Rogers' story. She grew up on the south side of Chicago, the daughter of John Rogers, who's one of the most successful African American money managers and philanthropists in the U.S. And she reminded us that her father encouraged her to volunteer starting at the age of 12, right? She was in yeah. seventh grade, and she went to Sue Duncan Children's Center to uh, volunteer teaching art classes after school. And so now if we fast forward, we think about her in her early 20s. She's had <laughs> 10, 15 years of volunteerism in the nonprofit sector. She's now on the boards of the Brooklyn Museum of Art and Creative Time and um, not brand new to this field. So although sometimes I think nonprofits look at 20-somethings and think, you know, you must just be starting out. I'm dealing with your parents and grandparents. Actually, yeah. millennials have been volunteering and participating in nonprofit life for decades already. As you both mentioned a little bit earlier, we're also coming into a time where the baby boomer generation is retiring and a lot of the wealth that they have accumulated is going to be passed down to Gen X, millennials, and the like. And how do you think that that potential wealth is going to impact charities in general? Well, the next generation ironically said to us, you know, we're interested in not just having the baton passed from one generation to the next, but playing the game together. You know, we're cognizant that older generations have years of experience and wisdom and know the world in one way. Um, But we also have our own values, experiences, skills to bear um, that are relevant to a changing economy and society. And we have our resources to bring to the table. So how can we work together to actually have a greater impact on the needs of today? Thank you both, uh, Sharna and Michael. It's a fantastic book. Thank you for your time today.
Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you both. Yeah. Uh, Sharna Goldsecker and Michael Moody. Uh, the book is Generation Impact, How Next-Gen Donors Are Revolutionizing Giving. Uh, the book is available in bookstores and online for your purchase now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.